Hello, welcome to Dreamstacks, the developer podcast that feeds your mind and your soul. Dreamstacks is brought to you by Contentful and Algolia. So, get comfortable, grab a cup of tea or a glass of lemonade, and join us for this episode. Enjoy your time! Thank you for tuning in to Dreamstacks. We have an all new episode for 2021. Happy New Year to everyone in our audience. This new episode is about teaching and about learning. And I have some really great guests today and I would love for them to introduce themselves. I'm Sylvie. Um, I am now a learning experience architect at Contentful. I create learning materials to enable to train our customers and partners as well as employees. And uh, before I joined the tech industry, I was actually a linguist and also I taught at college for a while as well. I go next. So hi everyone, I'm Julian. Um, I am a, a former engineer. I worked in front-end and back-end engineering at various companies. And now I'm a solutions architect at Algolia. So my job is to be a search and an Algolia expert uh, to drive customers' projects and uh, to make them su successful through the training, some workshops, uh, and what we call solution design. And I've always been keen on teaching. I've been doing um, coding classes in, um, in my former college, and I've done a lot of enablement uh, at Algolia. So this is a, a topic I, uh, I really enjoy. And um... I'm Niku. I'm I also at Contentful and I'm a senior instructional media producer there. And uh, my focus is on a lot of course development, content development, and uh, finding ways to kind of incorporate media into uh, learning solutions and experiences for our customers and partners. And uh, before joining Contentful, I was working in higher ed and also in K through 12. And I was a digital arts teacher for a long time. And I also have a, a background in film and television. Awesome. I, I really love our diverse backgrounds we have today on this episode. And you know, when we were thinking, you know, myself and, and Julie around topics for 2021 for DreamStacks, um, it, the, the main topic that really rose to the top was thinking about how much online learning has and has not changed uh, due to the quarantine during our global pandemic as a result of the novel coronavirus COVID-19. And yet we've seen tremendous innovation and creativity and renewed interest in this space. So what have each of you learned by teaching, learning, a lot of times onboarding our colleagues, right? Uh, during this time, um, you know, a lot of us have been teaching and learning online you know, way well before the quarantine, but have you noticed anything that has changed in, you know, the last year? I, I can start. Um, I think I've noticed that teaching online, you know, full-time in the, in the sense that we're doing right now with COVID um, actually is, is a lot more kind of exhausting and uh, takes a lot more work in a way than teaching in person because, um, you know, trying to get participants engaged and trying to uh, foster that collaboration can be a lot more difficult in an, in an online environment than it can be face-to-face. -face. Um, but on the other hand, there are some, you know, benefits to teaching online, um, such as self-paced learning, which I think 
you kind of don't have as much when you have in-person experiences. So it, it's interesting to me that it can be both kind of like rewarding, but also exhausting as well yeah. um, in, ter in terms of like actually leading uh, kind of these uh, training training experiences or training programs. Um, trying to, in a sense, recreate that classroom experience in an online environment by using breakout rooms, um, trying to build in as many hands-on interactive experiences, and then doing that blended learning model of mixing some self-paced learning with uh, live instruction. So as you know, Amelia, we've, we've done that a lot this year. Um, and I think that that, that works really well, um, but the level of preparation for those sorts of uh, programs is actually quite high uh, to make sure it might look easy from the from the perspective of the participant, but um, it actually requires a lot going in to, to make sure that everyone is logged in and everyone is on the right Miro boards and Zoom breakout rooms and all of the other tools that we're kind of juggling. I think that's really important, especially for those um, people who are just beginning to do online uh, teaching and learning uh, just Kind of, would you say it's fair to take twice the amount of time that you might have prepared a class in person to do it online, or is it more like five times? <laughs> what, do, what do you say? <laughs> definitely, the first time you're you're running a kind of an online class, I think it takes uh, qu quite a bit more, maybe five times. Yeah. 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 But I guess but there is possibility of it being more reproducible, right, with some of these tools as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the ability to, to scale, as we've seen this year, has been incredible. Yeah. You know, I know, Sylvie, for instance, you've been working in online learning for a long time. Has this year provided any new opportunities or, or changes that you've seen? So, um, yeah, so I started my career actually in um, the education technology industry and where we really kind of focus a lot on e-learning, self-paced as well as blended. So there was this turn of flipped classroom that was popular among the, um, among the ed tech industry, but it wasn't as well known in other industries. Because, so flipped classroom is that um, you give learners some uh, self-paced materials and then you also um, ha have them meet with the instructor later. So the instructor can kind of tailor based on the, what they learn in the self-paced materials and also create more hands-on practices to reinforce their skills. So it was a popular topic among the ed tech, but this year I really see the, the trend of using blended learning and flipped classroom in among all the industries, because we are all trying to convert our in-person workshop to, to, to virtual experience and flip classroom has been mentioned um, in basically all the industry for customer education. Well, that's really helpful. And um, have, has anyone else on, on the team taken um, a flipped classroom course before? Is, what was your sort of experience maybe for being a learner in that framework? Um, so I, I was um, in a certification program before using the flipped classroom model. So um, we were assigned some of the pre-work. So there's the discussion questions we have to think about and or there are some self-paced e-learning that we have to take before we go into the, the classroom either in person or online. And I think what I benefit is that I come into the classroom with some 
basic knowledge of of the content. And so, and, and in this way, you can kind of also make sure that everybody comes into the classroom with similar level of knowledge because when you teach in a classroom, it's very likely that you are gonna have different levels of learners, right? Some people with more knowledge and some people with less knowledge, but how do you bring them to, to, to the same place. It's, it's, it's a challenge for the instructor because you want to tailor to everybody's needs, but you also don't want to waste everybody's time. Like for the advanced learners, they may feel, oh, I know this topic already. So giving them some pre-work just allows some flexibility for the instructor. Um, for, for those who are just beginning to explore this topic, they can go through the entire self-paced course. For, the, for those who are more advanced, they take a look at the outline, the, the topic, they can decide to skip. So, so I, I think that's the benefit of a flipped classroom model. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for explaining that to us. And I think, you know, not everyone is familiar with that model, even if they've taken a class that, that had that. So I really appreciate you outlining that for us. And that, that also leads me to another, uh, you know, thing that has been happening this past year because of the quarantine is I think we've seen record amounts of um, new faces on our teams, new, new employees and team members that are joining who have to do their entire sort of onboarding and social get to know you and, and, and ramp up uh, to be become part of our teams totally virtually for, for the first time for a lot of companies. I even saw um, one of my colleagues, Sam, she posted in our Slack a, a rock video of a band that had a, a new Zoom team member was the name of the song. <laughs> I should play it on the side, but it was all about, you know, having that new team member suddenly that you only know through like a Zoom box, you know, and I, I thought that was really funny, but um, I wanted to actually talk to, ask Julian about that because he has been, you know, when we were chatting a little bit on Slack before this, uh, this recording was talking about onboarding and, and being onboarded successfully in a new role, because this is something that he's been participating with a lot at Algolia. And Julian, I'd, I'd love to hear uh, some of your advice and your feedback on this subject. Yeah, definitely. So what, what Nico said, said in the beginning uh, really resonated with me about the fact that you don't have the classroom as we knew it uh, anymore, or at least not for now. And, um, and you can kind of translate that into the, the enterprise world uh, in the workplace uh, with the meeting room where uh, you used to have, uh, you know, trainings, onboardings, and really um, the, the new hires that could have in-person training and that could have the team available to them to ask questions, uh, to have informal discussions. All those things uh, obviously can't happen uh, the same way uh, while being remote. And I've even had the question from candidates that asked specifically about that, like how does Algolia handle uh, onboarding remotely? How does this work? Uh, do I have access to people to ask questions? Uh, will, I, will I have um, trainings? And, and how will this all work basically? And um, I think it's, it's a great question to ask and a, a fair concern from candidates. And um, to be honest, I think really simple things uh, would help and, and I might say obvious things, but I think definitely uh, do have um, in-person training. So just use a Zoom or any other video conferencing uh, software to, to do a lot of face-to-face um, -face, uh, training, workshops, discussions, uh, Q and A's 
um, because it's tempting because we're remotely to be like, okay, let's put everything down in a tool where we can write down the whole uh, training material and the whole knowledge and people can just read through that and, and teach themselves. Um, but it, it's not a great experience for an onboarding first and it will never be as effective and as good as having a real discussion and having you know the, the training from somebody that has been there for a while and that knows about the uh, the, the topics and knows about uh, the, the knowledge that needs to be passed on. So so I think having that that face-to-face -face interaction is really important and having regular check-ins and, and using um, using the, the collaboration tools that are um, getting more and more popular, especially Miro, uh, I've heard that uh, previously. Um, and even like the just the annotation tool uh, in, in Zoom might be, might be helpful uh, for that. And um, more generally, telling people to share their screen each time they, they speak about something because it makes it makes things more visual. It helps with understanding what we're talking about. So really trying to recreate that meeting room slash classroom environment, uh, but uh, digitally and really not um, put aside the, the live conversation, I think is really important uh, to, to guarantee a good learning experience and a good onboarding. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And I think a, a lot of times, um, you know, some of us can be so focused on educating our, our customers or our clients or, um, you know, sort of external facing education that we, um, we miss that really incredible opportunity to engage and use some of those same really interactive tools to uh, educate and inform our new team members, our new employees. And I, I know everyone on this call is very actively involved in doing that. So I'm not preaching to the choir here, but I really appreciate um, that feedback. Um, how about Nico and Sylvie? Have you, have you noticed a, a new ways in which you can um, help some of that onboarding or even just general education um, inside of your company as well? Yeah, I, I would piggyback a, a little bit on uh, what Julian was saying. I think it's, you know, really important in this time to try to make people feel as connected as possible and to make some of that training live. Um, it's just so easy, I think, when you're onboarding remotely to feel like you're living in a little silo. Um, and so... As you know, Amelia, at Contentful, we've been uh, doing kind of this blended learning experience called the Accelerators. And when we've run that internally, we've received really great feedback. And I think it's partially because of that, you know, uh, kind of instructor-led training, that that feeling of actually seeing a person and kind of uh, being guided through the process is really important. And then um, one kind of delivery method that I've found that has been really helpful is um, not being afraid to actually kind of cold call on participants and, you know, saying, you know, please have your camera on, et cetera. I think it's, it's easy to sometimes feel disengaged from these remote trainings um, and to just turn your camera off, turn your mic off and zone out. But when the, when the instructor kind of makes an effort to call on you and to, to, to pull you in, um, I think that immediately kind of gets you on alert and gets you engaged in, in, in the program. Um, and I've experienced that I've been cold called as a participant <laughs> as well. So I know that feeling of, oh, okay, I better start paying attention and like, nice. being, nice. being involved in this training. Yeah, no, I was about to say, uh, just to echo was what has just been said. I've been in um, a training recently with Algolia where we had a, a professional 
coach that, that was uh, doing exactly that, asking people to turn on their, their camera. And it was like large groups of 30 people and uh, actually like um, calling people by, the, by, by their names and uh, trying to interact with as many people as, as possible. And it did make the whole session way more engaging and people started to actually participate more than in the beginning where they probably thought they would join and be passive uh, in the training. So yeah, uh, cannot agree more with what has been said. Yeah, I was gonna just share uh, from my experience as one of the participants in Amelia's uh, content modeling accelerator workshop. And, um, and the reason I think the employees like it a lot is because ever since the beginning of COVID, we are only kind of confined to interacting with just our immediate coworkers. And the accelerator workshop actually allow us to, to interact with people from outside our department and also some of the new hires who join. And it was a chance for us to interact with each other, um, learn about such an important topic. And the other thing is um, there's a great uh, icebreaker activities. Um, we share what our favorite show is and that also got people start thinking and talking. So yeah, I really enjoy my experience there. Awesome. I mean, you, you've definitely brought up one of my favorite subjects too, which is icebreakers. <laughs> I know everyone who's a teacher is like, oh, I love and yes. I hate icebreakers, right? And I do. I, I'm one of those people who I hate icebreakers. Like when someone comes and they're like, I think the, we had this icebreaker when I first joined uh, NYU's ITP project where they had this icebreaker and it's 150 people meeting 150 people. So it's a lot of people. And they're like, everyone wrap around in two circles like a snake and then talk for five minutes to the person in front of you. And then every five minutes switch and talk to another. So it's total pandemonium madness, right? As you can imagine, it's like 300 people talking really loud in a room. And then, every, and then someone screaming, next, next, switch, next. You know, it's just like total nightmare, right? And I, I remember thinking to myself, this is a total and absolute nightmare. And then after like the fifth time that I switched, I'm just like, you're just kind of rolling with it. You're like rolling with the insanity and the madness. You're like, this is really fun. And I kind of feel like that about all icebreakers that they're both like really terrible and really fun at the same time. So I would love it if, you, if I could just, you know, pick each of your brain right now and say, tell me what is the icebreaker that you love? The most and tell me one that you hate because <laughs> i would love to hear it i i know i know you all have one <laughs> yeah so i i think as you mentioned you know icebreakers when designed well it really work but there yeah, are just yeah. a lot of awkward icebreakers i'm like why am i here <laughs> right so like i i think one i think if it's relevant to us uh it will definitely engage people for example um one of the good icebreakers and it's probably an icebreaker uh, question was that um, because I'm in the customer education field, right? So um, one time I, I participate in a meeting and the icebreaker was share one mobile app that really you really like and tell us why. And as the participant go through the their favorite app and, and, and they tell about the reasons they like the app, it actually got me thinking, oh, why do you like this app? And there are some apps that I've never used. And I even went on to download the app just to try and see why they like it. So that one, I think, because it's relevant to what I'm doing, I'm always curious about why people like something so we can better design, um, design better learning experience for them. So that's one of the examples of a, a good icebreaker activity. Yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. since it, it, it left you engaged even after the activity, which is really cool. 
Yeah, but it, like for icebreakers, like imagine you are in 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 the North Pole.、Uh, what's <laughs> what activity you、yeah. want to do? I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's、That's、not relevant to me. I don't care. <laughs> no, absolutely. That is, we've、yeah. we've we've heard a, we've sat through many of those. <laughs> yeah, I think as, as when an icebreaker can serve a, a purpose beyond just being an icebreaker, then that's、um, that's really key. So, like Sylvie was mentioning, an icebreaker that's related to the topic, or、um, even an icebreaker that gets people. Using a tool that they're supposed to then use later in the training,、um, anything that isn't isn't just kind of feel like a little bit silly.、Um, I think people will be more more willing to kind of be involved. Absolutely, absolutely.、How、yeah, for me, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, what do I like to do as an icebreaker, and I I definitely. Um, understand what has been shared before, how awkward it might be sometimes, and、um, I think I was about to say I like small talk when people take a few minutes at the beginning of a session or、uh, a training or, or a call, and they just you know talk about whatever they have in mind、uh, at the time, and it, it's usually more personal stuff or about the news or really anything. And I actually remembered then that I had a. A manager previously at Algolia, whose name is Dustin, and for the the team meetings we had、uh, weekly, he used to ask everybody to share one highlight and one low light of the past week,、uh, but nothing related to to work.、Um, and it it was really nice overall because it's a team meeting and we obviously know each other and we work with each other, but we don't know the lives of each other. And sharing just one piece of information, like highlight and lowlight,、um, each one、uh, was a good way to kind of know、uh, what's going on in each other's lives、uh, at the time. And of of course, it it gives、uh, space for a lot of funny、uh, anecdotes and and、um, and and things that that were shared.、Um, so I did like this one, and、um, and I think I would reuse it、uh, if I had to. That's a really good one. I mean, I I I think that. Obviously, the most exciting thing or topic that we have as teachers is is usually the students that are in the room, right? Like they they're interesting people. They have incredible things to share. There's a lot of、uh, really wonderful stories that have brought them to that day. And I think like contrasting that example to what Sylvie said about okay, imagining you're at the North Pole, it's like well, you might even have someone in the audience that has been to the North Pole, right? Like and just let them talk, right? Like let them share their incredible story and who they are. So. I really appreciate those feedback.、Um, I'm one of those people who usually, when I'm a, a participant in a class and they say icebreaker, I like try to like look for the exit. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm also really social and I love to talk to people. So I, I think you're right that the best types of、um, icebreakers center the human experience, right, and the human stories that are in that room. So I, I really appreciate、um, all of your feedback on good icebreakers because it, it is a really good technique, right, for anyone who's listening in our audience. I'm sure they're they've done what I've done, which is Google、uh, icebreaker, you know, because you always want to have a new creative one, and you get tired of the ones you've been using in the same course over and over again. So I, I feel like、um, I feel like there's many blog posts right there <laughs> around icebreakers for sure. So、yeah. um, thanks for going on that tangent with me.、Um, 
And, you know, since we have such passionate uh, both teachers and learners in our, our cohort today on this podcast, uh, I wanted to ask uh, each of you about your own inspiration for your learning journey. And I, I found that every teacher that I've met uh, was inspired by an amazing teacher who showed them uh, the importance of learning. And I would love to hear from each of you who that person was for you. And maybe they were someone way back in your elementary school years or your high school years or a professor at your university, or maybe it was a mentor in early on in your career, or it could even be someone you're working with right now. Um, but I would love to hear uh, who, who showed you the, the real true value and importance of being a great teacher. I think for me, it goes kind of far back uh, in high school. I had a, a great journalism teacher who um, who was really excellent at uh, really connecting with students uh, beyond just what the topic was, just journalism, right? And maybe part of that was due to the fact that he was also um, the the kind of supervisor for for our newspaper. And so, we, we spent a lot of time, not only in the class learning, but also actually producing something, which was a newspaper. So I think um, it really helped students bond with each other and also kind of bond with the teacher and really feel like the teacher um, was like a true mentor to everyone. Um, and then also I have to like shout out that both of my parents are teachers. So I feel Aww. like a little bit, it's in my blood. So <laughs> of course. My, my whole life has just been, you know, observing them grading at home at the dinner table <laughs> and yeah, lesson planning. So I feel I've just grown up around it. That's amazing. And clearly, uh, you know, that journalism professor had or teacher had a, a huge influence on your life. You know, Niku has had work published in the Washington Post and and, and worked, in, you know, in publishing and journalism. So I'm, I'm of course, I'm not surprised <laughs> that your teacher would be a journalism <laughs> teacher. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. My parents owned um, a preschool, actually. So, and oh, I remember wow. back when I was in college, they would ask me to, to go to to the to the preschool to teach those kids. Um, I hated it at that time because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, dealing with kids is very different from dealing with adults. Yeah. Um, but I think probably because of you know being surrounded in the environment, and later on, I, I realized. You know, I actually enjoy teaching. Um, but talking about someone who I was inspired, I would think it's um, the, the the manager who offered me my my first full time position. So, for those who started your first career, you know how hard it is to to land your first job because you don't have the industry experience, you don't have things that you can show up on your resume. But the manager saw my potential and offered me the job. And um, from working with her, I, I learned about how to be passionate about, uh, about what you care about. And also um, she just is such a good example of someone who embraced um, the, uh, the growth mindset value. Um, she constantly gave me stretch assignments that I didn't believe that I could accomplish. And she would text me, I think you are the perfect person to take on this assignment. Why don't you just try it? And from giving me those stretch assignments, I was able to push myself to learn more tools, concept, or approaches to, to, to handle things, to, to manage projects, to, to work on my task. And yes, I, I still talk to her regularly. And in fact, she just texted me yesterday to check on me. No, oh, so, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's really, really cool. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just glad, you know, 
even though you leave the company, but the relationship is there. The relationship with a great mentor would last forever. Absolutely, absolutely. For me, I think um, just like Nico, it, it dates back to the the high school era. Um, I had this uh, amazing teacher in uh, history and geography, and I was always so impressed because he had so much knowledge and he was so good at sharing it and uh, leading the class. And he really had that uh, charisma uh, where everybody was uh, listening and was learning what felt to be more than in other classes um, and other subjects. And I think I've, I've, I've loved uh, the, the topic thanks to him uh, back then. And it probably helped me afterwards, um, like learning more or be more interested in, in those topics in general, even outside of school, I mean. And I think I, I'm doing something similar maybe in my career where, for example, when I joined Algolia, I quickly wanted to be as knowledgeable as possible and uh, as an expert as possible um, on the product because I knew that having uh, as much knowledge as possible and being able to clearly um, share it and, and really um, pass it on to uh, other people internally and to our customers um, was uh, um, something that, that could really have an impact and, and bring value basically. So, so really much like I've, I've been um, impressed by this uh, teacher back then and I've then been um, more interested in everything that I could learn during that year. Um, I'm thinking that if I can try to replicate it even just a little bit, uh, then I might have like people internally that are more interested into Algolia and our customers that feel more comfortable with the product. Um, so yeah, just just basically taking that inspiration uh, in my day-to-day -day work. And it's not something I had in mind actually before you asked the question, but the more I thought about it, the more I remembered that teacher, that one teacher um, that, that, I, that I still remember very vividly today, although it's like a long time ago. And I think it influenced me in the, in the way I approach learning and then teaching uh, what I learned. Oh, absolutely. I think the value of a good teacher, as we can see in this, you know, in this conversation here, it can really last a lifetime. I mean, unfortunately, conversely, also a really bad teacher. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure we all said that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, I can remember like the, every, every bad thing that any teacher ever said about my work, right? Like it's conversely, like the opposite is true too. It has such a huge impact in our lives. Um, so, so thank you for, you know, sharing those those um those memories and those inspirations with you know with me and with our audience and um you know all of us work for really cutting edge um you know SaaS products within a microservice universe and so I would say we're tip of the spear in in when it comes to highly technical products that being said I feel like a lot of people may come to this podcast hoping that we can give them a couple of tips on you know what is our learning stack like what are some of the tools that we're using whether it's microservices or I know we mentioned Miro and we've mentioned Zoom. Um, just rattle them off, list them off. Uh, what, what things, you know, are you really happy that you're able to use that are you find yourself using on the day, daily or even weekly um, to help yourself um, 
manage uh, your workflow or even um, helping your students um, to learn about your product or about our services. I think people will really appreciate that. Well, Nico mentioned Miro. I, I think Miro has become my day-to-day -to -day tool that I cannot live without, you know, not just using that for online teaching, but also for brainstorming for meetings. Yeah, yeah, I really like Miro too. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I get to be on this team and use it so much because I didn't get to use it much before. It's really fun. And on the on the content development side, um, there's so many great tools, right? From the entire like Adobe suite, especially with my focus kind of on multimedia, I'm using those tools every day. And then things like Camtasia and ScreenFlow for for doing uh, kind of screen captures and demos and things like that. And then uh, Sylvie also introduced our team to a great authoring tool called Evolve, which we're, we're kind of learning at the moment and, and getting our heads around that. Um, there, there's actually just like so many options. Sometimes it can be hard to yeah, narrow totally. it down. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean, when I was on DevRel, we used um, StreamYard, which was a really fun tool that we could do live coding streams and it would syndicate it on Twitch and on YouTube live and had the ability to have sort of you know, graphic questions that popped up from people from any of those platforms, whether they were from Periscope or YouTube, it would all sort of aggregate the questions into one location. So I really liked using StreamYard. They're just acquired by Hopin and I really like Hopin for live events. So now you've got both of those. So I, I definitely recommend those to people who are doing really, really large courses, right? Like if you have hundreds of people coming to your learning event, those can be really good. And uh, I've been attending a few virtual conferences this past year because of the pandemic. And I noticed that um, a lot of speakers, they use uh, Mentimeter. It's, mm -hmm. um, it's a tool that you can do live polls or quizzes or Q&As as you present. And I, I actually like it a lot too. Oh, that's awesome. I've never used that one. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing. On my end, I would like to mention a tool that is not supposed to be primarily for learning, but I, I do use it a lot for that purpose. Uh, it's Slack. And um, the, the fact that uh, the company is relying on Slack for uh, a big part of the communications uh, also makes it a great place to get information that you would not get otherwise, that you would not have access to, um, at least not as easily. And so basically you can go to some channels that are public uh, or ask to access some of them maybe that are more for smaller teams uh, and and really be like i don't want to contribute i don't want to to bother you guys i just want to be there and read what's happening and i know i've learned so much um, by just being in some slack channels and taking uh, a few a few minutes uh, or uh, yeah or an hour per day and, and just going through the latest messages and see people's questions, people's problems, and what answers do they get, and sometimes contribute when I feel I can add something. And I've learned so much thanks to that. So I think it, it, if uh, a company is using Slack or another similar communication tool, uh, there might be a way to leverage it um, and, and just use the default features to, to basically get some information and some news um, kind of uh, organically. Um, so yeah, I, I like this this one uh, for this reason. I appreciate that. Do you have any specific integrations also that you really like using with Slack or any uh, tips or advice on how to manage a million channels? I'm one of those people that just has like a million channels in Slack and I'm, so I'm, I'm actually just asking for myself. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's a great question because I know uh, everybody's uh, trying from time to time to clean up the, the channels they, they are part of, right? And they, they try to reduce the noise. And for me, it's really, um, it's really like I try to only be in the channels that really have uh, something that, that I might uh, find interesting and that where or where I might contribute. Um, so trying to, to be in as few channels as possible, although it's, it's really hard to do. But also, I know a handful of them will really be the, the top ones in terms of knowledge, because I know they are the ones where you have the, the most technical or the most advanced questions, or they are the ones about the latest uh, product features that we are building. So if I want to know the latest about those, I need to, to read those. So it's kind of a mental uh, like um, reminder that those are the ones I will check uh, in priority. And if I have time, I will go through the rest. But if, I, if there are like three, four that I need to check every day, it will be those three, four that at the moment are the most interesting. So, so I can talk about Slack probably for a day because I used to <laughs> run a workshop teaching people how to how to help you keep organ uh, your Slack organized so you can oh, stay. I didn't focused. know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, I, I think one key tip I would share is that really start the channels, the DM that you care about the most. So. I, 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 st I start um, our, our team channel, our, our team public channel, public channel, and some other channel that I care about. And I also make it a routine. So every day, the first thing I come to Slack, I check the star channels that I care about. And as Julian said, if I have time, I'll go to others that I don't start. And also, you can also leverage a lot of the features there. You know, you can use the, the, the remind command and then when, when you are in the podcast right now, I turn off my notification. So there are a bunch of things that you can do to, to make Slack work for you. So you don't feel like, oh, there's hundreds of messages that I haven't read. That's really helpful. So interesting, because it's almost as if the way you both are describing Slack, it's almost as if you're curating your own kind of like learning path through it, right? Because oh, you're nice. like, these are, these are the things that are most important for me. And then if I have time, I'll jump to these other channels. It's really, it's kind of fascinating to hear. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really cool. Uh, I always ask people about how they use Slack because I'm, I'm, because I used to be in DevRel and just because of my personality, I'm in, I'm in so many Slack groups that Slack has actually told me I can't be in anymore. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that was like a limit, but I think when you hit 65, they're like, you can't fit anymore in your sidebar. You have to actually, you know, cut one out, Amelia. And I'm like, every, um, like, you know, developer meetup has their own Slack channels. So you can imagine I'm in a lot of developer meetups. And so, um, yeah, so I have to like, really navigate through um, quite a few of these uh, Slack groups. But I love Slack. I've, I've, I've always really uh, loved their product. I like Discord as well, too. And that's I kind, of, I kind of used to keep Discord just for my gaming universe and my gaming friends. But now a lot of the, um, like, I think Women of React is on Discord. And there's a couple of other meetups that have kind of jumped ship to Discord. So now I can have more. I don't have to be limited by 65. <laughs> <laughs> you could have all those in Discord. Um, but that, that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, we, we talked a little bit about at the beginning of um, this conversation around how, um, how much effort it, it takes to put uh, online courses uh, and to create them and, you know, how much more sort of production time. And it also takes, a, a, I would say, quite a bit of effort to also learn um, 
online as well. And and we at the beginning of uh, quarantine, this this phrase came out called Zoom fatigue, right? <laughs> Which I'm sure all of us have experienced in in many different ways at this point, a, a year into um, into quarantine and and distributed work. Um, I would love to hear from each of you what you do to sort of combat uh, Zoom fatigue and what is it that you do to unwind and sort of make sure that you can recharge and, um, you know, maybe some things you do for fun. Cause I would love to hear a little bit about, about how you do that. Yeah. So, uh, for me, um, sometimes I actually take my meeting in my backyard, Nice. Um, just, you know, it's just an, a different environment. Right. And one time I remembered that, um, um, I had a meeting with Niku and Niku suggests, hey, um, I'm actually about to go take a walk. Can we can we just do it? I'm like, wow, that's just an awesome idea. I also take a walk as we talk. And so that's also a different approach that you can come back to Zoom fatigue, just different environment, different setting, just to, to make you feel different. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. And I think we, we are kind of like maybe on version 1.0 right now on how to work remotely. I hope that version 2.0 is even more fun, right? Like that we do a lot, that that's the norm. We do lots of meetings while walking or maybe while integrating nature and a more full and active life within our workday. That would be really beautiful. So thanks for sharing that. I've done something very, very similar where I have one of my uh, coworker from the same team that is living uh, close by. So we uh, started the habit of uh, going for a walk uh, every other day, uh, very regularly, and talk about everything really. So work, obviously, but also a lot uh, about um, our lives. Uh, however, uh, you know, on lockdown. But uh, but yeah, it was definitely refreshing. And otherwise, I know for me, uh, trying to be productive, but take some time away from the computer. Uh, I've I've made a point to really go for a walk, even alone. Uh, really every day uh, during quarantine, I've I've I have my watch that that sets some like daily goals, and I've made a point to really hit them every single day, even during quarantine. So I go for a walk maybe one hour, and to not have just that time working alone kind of wasted. Um, I'm I'm also listening to podcasts uh, to keep learning. You know, I've listened to podcasts about subjects that I've uh, been meaning to learn or improve on uh, over the past months and it's been really enjoyable because basically it's a two-in-one uh, benefit it, I'm, I'm doing some workout I'm refreshing my mind by being outside and also I keep being productive uh, kind of so yeah that that's been my kind of my tip from from quarantine that's great thank you for sharing that yeah, like like everyone else, I would say the the walks are lifesavers. <laughs> um, so I'm definitely taking a lot of walks. Um, also, just trying to uh, I th I think my caffeine intake has gone up a lot. Uh, trying oh, wow. uh, yeah, taking a lot of like coffee and tea breaks because that was something uh, you know I, we all did in the office a lot. Like I remember going out with you, Amelia, to grab coffee and the totally. sodi, and so. Uh, so now I just kind of take myself out on coffee dates and tea dates, um, but it, may, it might be getting too excessive. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I actually just started roasting my own coffee beans. 
um wow. which is wow. i know i thought it was going to be way <laughs> harder than it is um i bought like the green you know beans and i bought this teeny little roaster that only does four ounces at a time but you know there's not that many people in my house so i do it twice and that's kind of our weekly uh coffee but it, it tastes amazing i really love fresh roasted coffee so that's been my but i'm gonna probably be like you niku <laughs> drink too much coffee now because I'm like oh I need to test it again you know (laughs) but um yeah so we'll we'll both have a ridiculous caffeine tolerance by the end yes (laughs) yeah has anyone else gotten into like sort of makery things I feel like I've I've been a craft explosion of just making lots of crafts and different things that I never thought like I never thought I'd roast my own coffee but I'm kind of like making my own picture frames I'm you know I'm just like anything that I used to buy I'm now like making has anyone else gone crazy like that with me like me yeah well I I I do notice that I spend much more time in my kitchen right now right now I'm making pasta from scratch making noodles from scratch dumplings just you know it's just kind of a a stress relief so one time I was in a meeting but because I was only a participant in listening only mode because it was a company-wide meeting and I was also making noodle at the same time oh I love that and by the time the meeting ended I finished making my noodle and I just cook it that's awesome I love that (laughs) I think if we ever if when we go back to the office you should just still do that (laughs) but in the office that would be great oh that's awesome uh, and so, you know, since a lot of us are like learning to do new things or crafting, you know, new things like myself uh, or or Sylvie making noodles, um, how are you learning some of these new things? Like I know myself, I'm, I'm going on a lot of YouTube videos and watching, you know, tutorials on my phone. Um, what other ways are you, are you yourself just for fun um, learning things during quarantine? I find myself actually gravitating a lot toward books maybe because I just need that like break from yeah. screen time. Um, but lately I'm like just buying a lot of actual tangible books, not even like Kindle books anymore because I, I just want a break from the screen. Um, but it, it's nice. It's like refreshing. I want to, you know, start a spring garden. So I'm buying a gardening book, for example. Nice. I, I too have started reading just a ridiculous amount too, I think, because I need a total like zero screen um, enjoyment. Um, so I, I would also love to know what everyone is is reading. Right now I'm, I'm reading uh, Braiding uh, Sweetgrass, which is a indigenous botanist talking about, um, uh, you know, wisdom that we get from plants in, in forests. Um, what else are people reading? <laughs> I'm reading Obama's new memoir, but I haven't oh, finished nice. it. It's a long book. <laughs> nice on on my end i'm i'm sad because this is the the biggest failure of the the quarantine for me i i didn't get back to reading as much as i i hoped i would uh although that was the the big trend i did start cooking whereas i used to hate it so i guess that that's uh that's the silver lining but uh in terms of reading i i'm really bad at staying away from the screen so I do it mostly on the computer or on the, the smartphone. Um, but what I do is I, I try to subscribe to very few, but very interesting, at least for me, uh, you know, news or newsletters. Um, I try to use Pocket uh, to bookmark articles that I see throughout the day and read them uh, later during the evening. 
So that that's the reading I try to do. And overall, what I find interesting when you use that approach is to try to bookmark or open as many links as possible and on as many topics as possible. Um, not only the, the things you really care about the most, like not the one topic you, you are the most interested in, because you might be surprised how interesting some stories that you would never think about are. Uh, so that, that's the type of reading I've been doing a lot uh, since, uh, since quarantine started. That's great. I love Pocket. <laughs> I think that's really cool that you, I, I'm just, I love it. I think it's a great product. So I'm with you. I, I like having a billion tabs and organizing my my future uh, learning path, as Nico has said, <laughs> with our, all the ways that we're navigating yeah. the world. I love using Pocket. So thanks for shouting that out too, because I think that is a really helpful like learning tool for our, our, our personal endeavors as well. Well, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Each of you have, have opened my eyes to lots of new ways in which I can you know, grow myself as a learner as well as a teacher. And uh, I would just love to give you each a chance if, if there was something that you wanted to share with our audience that I didn't cover in a, in a question to just give you the opportunity uh, to, to share it with our audience. And if there's nothing, then that's totally fine too. I can't think of anything. That's totally fine. I think you, you all. I was like, uh, yeah, no, you, you, you can cut this out. Why, yeah. why don't you? Why don't you ask us one final question? So, okay. Well, what do you? What would? What do you think would be good? Or would you like to ask? <laughs> I don't know. What's one good question that we can end this episode? And it's also related to Dreamstack or. Yeah, well, has there has you know all of us are kind of teachers and learners within our um, within our companies. Is there some uh, a, a question that you get asked a lot that you maybe would like to share with our audience? Assuming that a lot of them may have some of the same questions. I guess I can have a a question that I actually had for myself uh, maybe recently, and I uh, I did find an answer through talking with people and getting some advice. But you know, it's how do you how do you start learning something new when it, feel, when it feels really big and daunting and you don't really know where to start? Uh, and again, it might be a really obvious advice and a simple one, but for me, what has worked is uh, two, two things, twofold. First, um, starting small, really uh, try to break up uh, the, the, the topic uh, in uh, smaller pieces and just start with one small piece um, and, and just um, do something with it. So try to, to accomplish something with it. So I'm, I'm coming from a, an engineering point of view and I, recently I wanted to you know, experiment with new technologies, languages, and it always felt like it's gonna take so much time to learn about it, to read, to test. And actually during quarantine, one night I was like, okay, tonight I'm doing something. So it doesn't need to be good. It doesn't need to be uh, perfect. And I don't need to understand everything about it. I just want to have something done by the end of the, of the night. And so I just read, you know, the, the, the most basic beginning, beginner tutorial and just did something with it and published it and it was live. And although it was like very basic, didn't do much, um, I had something working and I had at least a foot in the door um in like starting to to learn the topic and i think that helped me a lot because i'm easily discouraged by 
the size of, of the, the, the tasks at end. And, and this uh, advice that, that I was given really helped me get started on, on that kind of like huge uh, project. So, so I think Ju Julian brings a very good point from learner's perspective. And I think that's also a good reminder for educators and teachers that, you know, we shouldn't overwhelm our learners with big chunk of content. So I think chunking is especially very important right now because learners' attention span is just much shorter right now, right? So instead of giving them a two-hour long course, can we chunk it to small bite-sized material? So... Um, so they have the flexibility. Oh, I can finish, maybe take five minutes of my time to finish this topic. And tomorrow I'll move on to, to, to the next topic. So they don't feel like, oh, I need to block a two hour just to finish this course. And I think in addition to chunking and, and making kind of learning digestible, a really another important thing to remember is that as teachers or subject matter experts, um, we sometimes forget that our learners don't know everything that we do or, um, you know, everything that's inside of our brain. So making sure that we provide those high level roadmaps or, or guides are really important and, and trying to provide things in, a, in multiple formats, right? So we, we talked a little bit about providing kind of interactive elements, multimedia, um, audio, and in addition to maybe just text or documentation. So um, making sure that we kind of, we, we give our learners multiple avenues for approaching a subject um, that can also make it easier for them to kind of jump in at any point. Absolutely. Well, that, that's an incredible question. Thank you so much for that, Julianne. And, and thank you each of you for taking your time to share with our listeners your valuable advice around teaching and around learning. And I, I hope that um, you can come back to DreamStacks again in the future. We'd love to have you back. And, and thank you so much for participating. I hope you have a great day. Thank, thank you. you. This was great. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for the invitation. This was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of DreamStacks, the developer podcast that feeds your mind and your soul. We hope you enjoyed it. Let's stay in touch. You can subscribe to DreamStacks in your favorite podcast app. Don't hesitate to follow Contentful and Algolia on Twitter to get access to our latest news. See you soon.